says, party people. <laughs> the house of the Lord. I am so glad to be here in all honesty. Grateful to be here at Westwood. I love this church and I love the pastor and I love all of you and I'm grateful to be here in Joel's um, absence, but really excited for this series on relationships. And um, I have the distinct pleasure of talking about the favorite one. Touch. Oh, the introverts are quaking in their boots. Circling, highlighting right there, party people. Get ready. All you introverts, just, uh, you know, someone just uh, throw your leg over them. You're not going anywhere. Lock the doors. Okay, so we're going to be continuing this journey of talking about this relationship attachment model. And in all honesty, I'm really grateful that we're talking about it. Uh, Bush Lake family, love you all. And on our online folks, I hope that we will connect deeply today as we're talking about this. Because how many of you know that as we look out at the culture and we look at the communities that were around us, we need some better relationship attachment, right? We need a healthier way of addressing the issues that are surrounding us. And so as we talk today, Bush Lake family, online folks, if you're watching this later and all who are in this room, I hope that we can dig deep today as we take a look at this final uh, level of these areas of attachment um, and we talk about what touch actually means. And so we'll talk about multiple kinds of touch, but I think that this is really important. Because if we as the church, as the body of Christ, don't find a way to talk about this well, how many of you know that the culture will speak? And is speaking. And they're educating our kids. I can tell you that they're everywhere. And they're speaking things that are contrary to the gospel. And so it's really important, dear beloved brothers and sisters, wherever you're at with this idea, while we, sometimes it's good to laugh because it kind of takes out the little bit of fear, but we as Christians should not be afraid to talk about intimacy. We should not be afraid to talk about what healthy touch is, and we should be the ones that the world is saying, man, the folks who were broken are now, they're, they're experiencing wholeness and health because the one who taught us love is healing people, and there's a mass wave of passion that's happening in the body of Christ. That's what I long for more than anything. So as we talk about this final um, element of the relationship attachment model, we know that it's important because how many know the world really is beginning here? The world is beginning by telling us, just, you know, do what you want to do. Friends with benefits, uh, you know, it's just transactional. How many of you know that touch is anything but just transactional? It is deeply meaningful. And there are people who believe that, well, you know, whatever. If you start here, these things will come. They're not going to come and not in a healthy way. We have to begin by being known. And how many know as we've gone through this the last several weeks, to know is the most important part, to know and to be known. And how many know our Father came, Jesus came, to tear the wall of hostility so that we could be known? Maybe some of you, for the first time in your life when you surrendered your life to Christ, really for the first time know what it is to be known. And for some of you, maybe that's uncomfortable. You mean the God of the universe looks upon my sin and still wants to know me? Yes, he wants to know you and love you and heal you and deliver you and fill you and equip you. Amen? He didn't just come to save you so that you can sit in that seat, but to say there is freedom in my life. He wants you to break generational curses. He wants you to break divorce. He wants you to break pornography. He wants you to break it by learning how to be healthy. And I'm standing before you because I know 
I know it's possible. If I had time to tell you this, I know it's possible to be healthy and whole when you've been broken. So I want to talk about that with you all today, if you'll stay with me, and, and we'll go a little bit deeper and wider as we talk about this today. I want to start by saying there are two very distinct definitions of touch. And I call them distinct because they really are polar opposites when we think about touch. The first is, uh, is to come into or to be in contact with. So this can be emotional touch. It can be um, physical touch. How many have ever thought or said, boy, I'm really touched that you would think of me? Right? We use that language a lot, but what does that mean when we're touched to the core? It means something someone has said or done has so resonated with us that we're impacted in such a profound way. Or it can be when someone has touched us in a way, a, a, a hand, maybe during a, a death, that someone just comes and sits right next to us, and their touch helps us to know, you know what, it's going to be all right. I, I can make it through. So touch in its most purposeful, God-filled way is something that brings healing, and that is sexual and non-sexual. But now here's the opposite. The opposite is to handle in order to manipulate, alter, or otherwise affect, especially in an adverse way. This is touch that brings abuse. It's neglect. It's the things that cause us to want to cower or turn away. Dare I say that social media is touching people in ways that are painful. When we use social media as a way to beat each other up over things, using capital letters and red, uh, you know, red initials, what are we saying to each other? We're, we, we don't come to each other face to face, so I'm going to use social media to touch you, and I'm going to let you know how I feel, and I'm going to send it off, and now I'm going to let you know how I feel. And what does it do? How are we doing with that, America? We are hurting each other, and our children are learning, and we're looking to everyone else but ourselves to say, it's your fault, it's your fault. The state of the union is your, it's your fault. No, we are the church of the living God, and we are going to get this right in Jesus' name. We're going to get it right. It's time to get it right, because people are dying while we're having these conversations. And we need to be the ones, Jesus, who stepped out of eternity so that we might know him, who suffered in every way but was without sin. We have access to the Father. And so as we think about these two definitions of touch, I want us to think about our own lives right now. I want you to think about where you're at. Some of you in this room have been touched in ways, harmed in ways, hurt in ways that are deeply painful. And we want to pray, and we want this, this conversation to be something that gives you hope. Bush Lake Campus, people watching, we want you to know there's hope if you feel like, I don't want anyone to touch me. I, I don't want anyone to look at me. I want you to know that we want to pray for you, that it would start by just letting God come near you, like the woman at the well who didn't want Jesus to look at her. He stayed with her in patience and in grace. I want you to be healed. For those of you who are in places where you're healthy emotionally, I want you to know that we can always grow and to be better. There is this transcendent nature to touch. Transcendent means kind of beyond the natural. This transcendent power to touch. It, it reaches into the soul. It elicits a response. It heightens emotions. It releases chemicals and endorphins in the body, either those that heighten or those that cause us to flee. It calls, it draws us near. It impacts the body, the mind, and the spirit. 
It can bridge, build a bridge or it can tear one apart. We can touch with words as well as with our bodies. Constant, consistent touch can cause us to feel safe or when misused or withheld as a means of punishment and could cause a shrinking of the soul. So the very first thing I want to tell you is there is a life-giving power that happens with human touch. Simply touching somebody with graciousness is so powerful. I want you to think about a teacher and a student. When a school teacher gives a friendly pat on the back or a meaningful touch with a student, a student is more than three times more likely to speak up in class. My mom taught for 40 years. And I remember one of the things that she taught with her students that she did with us is especially when we were afraid of not getting um, something right. For me, it was math. <laughs> right? The world was spinning. Right? When, for me, it was math. But when my mom would come alongside me or a tutor or someone would come alongside me and say, you can do it. You've got this. It gave me confidence. And the research shows us that with students, that when a teacher comes alongside a student, they are three times more likely to speak up in class, three times more likely to risk lifting their hand because they know somebody believes in them. Let's think about waiters and waitresses. Now, I want to say to all of us, how many of us have seen that when you're walking up to the door of a restaurant, they now have, please be kind or don't come in? How many have ever waited tables? So you're giving a hearty amen to that because all of us who have waited tables are like, listen, if I could say to you what I want to say to you, you would not be getting any food and that water would cost you 10 bucks. <laughs> right? Because we've seen people be mean and short. A lot of people are not working right now or we've seen on the airlines the story after story of people being assaulted who are there to serve. But do you know that for those who serve... For those who remember your order rather than writing it down, or those who do that, do you know that the research shows that those who are waiters or waitresses or others who are in places of service, that when they do that, their tips go up. Now, if they linger too long and they're all in your face and your space, the tip goes down. Pastor Joel says we just need to give 20%, but you can take that up with him. You didn't hear that from me. But the reality is people need to be given honor for their service. Moms, dads, all of you who are out there, aunties, uncles, grandparents, all of you who are caregivers who are out there, I want to say thank you for being those who graciously are connecting with your children because moms, dads, mentors, others get high marks, really high marks for the way that they interact with their children. And that's really exciting. So a dad playfully wrestling Mom, auntie, grandma, braiding a child's hair, playing with them, having a tea party, giving them a hug at night, reading a story. All of those things matter so much in the lives of children. And then all of you, many of you have heard that that skin-on-skin -skin touch can be life-saving for any of us who have ever had preemies. You know that one of the things they talk about is the kangaroo care when a little tiny body is placed on the heart of the mom or the dad and held closely. Do you know the research says that mortality rates of those children can go down 70, 30 to 70 percent simply because of that skin-on-skin -skin touch? It means a lot, my friends, when we learn not simply to touch each other well, but to lock eyes with each other in deep sincerity that your life matters to me. You are worthy of dignity and respect. That my tone or my life should never be such that makes you afraid. 
When we had our two little girls who are not so little anymore, my youngest is six feet tall and just turned 19, so she's a little taller than me. I'm usually five, seven to six feet, depending on the heel height. But um, <laughs> she, when they were little, I used to tell my husband, listen, if you're gonna do the correcting of the girls, get down on their level and whisper. And you say, well, why? <laughs> I'd be like, well, because you just blew my hair back. But the main reason is, <laughs> Main reason, now that I'm singed on my forehead, but the main reason is because that big barrel chest of yours, Daddy, that they sleep on also gathers all of that energy. And when they're one foot and you're six foot two, when you're talking at them, if you're upset, it scares them. But when you get on their level and you whisper, they still hear you, Daddy. And to this day, it makes a huge difference, has made a huge difference in the way that my girls interact with their dad at 19 and 21. Touch is important, dear friends. It can calm our heart rate and our blood pressure. It can release endorphins. It can uh, transport signals to our nervous system that changes the pace of our nervous system. In early life, we're taught that it can be crucial for building healthy relationships by stimulating pathways. It can tackle loneliness. 2017 study said that gentle touch can reduce both pain and feelings of social exclusion. There is life-giving power that happens with human touch. When the disciples, think about this scripturally, when the disciples were eating at that very emotional last supper, right before Jesus went to be uh, crucified, the apostle John laid his head on Jesus' chest And when Mary came upon the resurrected Jesus, she had to be told to stop holding and clinging on to him because she had so tightly wrapped her arms around the body of the one that she saw crucified, and now he was alive. And all she wanted was to wrap her arms around the living Lord, but he had not yet ascended. And so he said, you've got to release me. We also recognize that when Paul met with the elders of the church in Ephesus, right before he too would be martyred, To say his goodbyes, we read in Acts chapter 20, verses 36 and 37, that they began to weep openly. And they threw their arms around Paul's neck and repeatedly kissed him. Friends, this is how God has wired us. Jesus practiced the life-giving power of human touch. Five times throughout scripture, we are told to greet each other with a holy kiss. For any of you who have ever traveled around, you'll see in different cultures a kiss on each cheek. It's not meant to be sexual. It's meant to say, you are welcome. You are a part of this community. You're a part of our culture. Welcome. There is so much good to life-giving touch. And so it's important, I want to encourage us, that before we launch into the sexual touch, I want us to really think about meaningful practice of loving and affirming those who you are closest to. Learn the affection language of your kids, of your family members, and of your closest friends. And in today's culture, we need to know that touch must be appropriate. We have to have meaningful touch, and make sure that the touch that you give is valued by the one who you give it to. So that is the first truth, that there is life-giving power that happens with human touch. The second is that there is bond-building power to sexual touch. If there is one area that I have spent the majority of my time in, 
in working in ministry, and I've been in ministry for about 30 years. The last 14 were at Bethel University just up until August when I left there. The majority of my time with young people was spent talking about sex and sexuality. Why? Because they are tired of being broken. And they are tired of seeing brokenness and shame in the body of Christ regarding sex. Many of them have ventured into pornography or other kinds of things or Fifty Shades of Grey or Friends with Benefits or promises that were kept and not met. They've come to me in shame and guilt and wondering whether their Christianity was forever marred because of things they did. How many of you know that God is a redeemer and nothing that you have done or ever shall do will separate you from the love of God? Can I just give that to somebody today to be free? But too many of them have had teachers that come from the culture. They have one foot in the culture. Beyonce singing some songs and one foot over here singing holy, holy, holy. It doesn't work that way. But if we don't model health and wholeness and sexuality, they're going to go to the culture because the culture's not afraid. Do you know the average age of a young person being exposed to pornography is 10? You know it's not just a man's problem anymore that young people, that girls are watching it almost in similar rates to young men? It's because we, whoever the we are, we want to take responsibility for it, have been shamed ourselves. Now, some of us were not raised in home where sex was what we talked about over rice Amen? <laughs> it's not the hamburger helper was not what we talked about. Can you pass the hamburger? Let's talk about intercourse, shall we? That was not a conversation we had. I got the book, Where Did I Come From? Anyone else get that book? How many of you remember that book, Where Did I Come From? Oh, gee! Right? Or it was the ABC After School Specials. How many of you used to watch those? Yeah, for those of you who are like under 30, like you don't know what we're talking about. How many of you know about those ABC after school specials? Gee, my mom's having a baby. You guys remember that one? Good grief, right? So we were raised on that. But I think a lot of us were raised, especially in the church, to think about sex as transactional. You have a certain number of kids because we need people to take care of this or we got to take care of the farm or we got to, that's what mom and dad do behind closed doors. But when kids are asking questions, we got, it just got shut up. We, we, don't, we don't talk about that. But how many of you know in a lot of us that created this shame and this sense of curiosity that even in our singleness as we waited, we felt like you can't be a Christian and have conversations about sex. That's just not what you do. We can't teach that family we can't teach not to talk about it until you get married. And then when you get married, it's a free-for-all because none of us know what to do. <laughs> We're scared, overwhelmed, anxious, afraid of making a wrong move. God created sex to be good. For all of us who are raised in homes that we didn't talk about it, it's, it's become a scary thing. But how many of you know it is good? Sex is made to be good. Yes, you can. Yep, you can do it. Some of you are like, but if I do this, then, you know, it's going to be uncomfortable. Yeah, just, just do it anyway, okay? It is good, number one. It's good because God created everything to be good, even intimacy. Our strong desire to be sexually intimate is neither sinful or selfish. God intended sex to be good. He even commanded it in Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 through 28. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. 
In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And get this, he said it, he said it blessed them, and he said be fruitful and increase in number. He didn't just say increase in number. He said be fruitful. There's a fruitfulness to touch. There's an intimacy there. So we have to thank God for a positive view of sex. This counters the church's voice for centuries that taught that the original sin was sex. We missed it. And because we missed it, we taught it incorrectly. If you want to get technical about it, the very first command that God gave to humans was to have sex. God not only created it, he commanded it, and he put it within us and the desire and ability for it. It is not evil, it is good. Over and over again, the Bible celebrates the bond-building power of sexual touch. It is good, but, someone say but, it has boundaries. It's good, but it has boundaries. And we have to remember the importance of those boundaries. Because if we who are believers just start to move the boundary, if we just start to take the importance of being known and we just kind of put it back here somewhere, if we start to move the parameters and the boundaries, we start to agree with the world. We start to tell the world, yeah, you're right. And I'm not saying waiting is not hard, amen. But I'm saying waiting is worth it. And I'm going to speak to somebody in here and somebody who's waiting, who maybe you, and I'm going to be very clear, lost your virginity. Can I tell you that God can restore purity, though? Can I tell you that God is a healer and a deliverer? Can I tell you right now, somebody needs to be free before you leave this room today? That the shame and the guilt and the lies of the devil no longer need to be adhered to you and that you have the right to be free and whole in a sense of who you are? Because if you're not, for those who have been touched inappropriately... Where are they going to go when they come to the house of God? Where are those young women going to come who have been prostituted? Where are they going to come if we're broken when they've been touched inappropriately? Who's going to tell them that they can be known in a place that is safe if we aren't the ones to talk about it? Who's going to embrace somebody who was misused? Who's going to teach them wrongly, uh, the, the difference between wrong and right? And can I tell you and speak this very clearly? I believe that there is an attack on men. I believe that the culture says that men are gross and grotesque and just these hypersexual human beings. The devil is a liar. The men that I know are gracious and kind, and maybe some have been wedged into that. But the reality is we have to live a different life, men of God, before this culture. We as your sisters need you. But sisters, can I tell you our brothers need us? Brothers, how many of you would say, we need you too? We need you to silence the voices and the lies of the culture that says that we're nothing or simply animalistic. That is not true. Wives, you have more power with your spouse than you would believe. I know that to be true about my husband. One wrong word from me, from somebody has learned not only the trust, but to rely on me as well, that one wrong attitude can deeply hurt him as well. I know men who have been deeply sexually assaulted and broken as well. It is not simply we as women who have the tenderness. I know men do too. And brothers, it may be different for you, but tender nonetheless. And we as your sisters need you. We need you to be healthy and whole and strong. We need you to be daddies and uncles and grandfathers. We need you to have a sexual ethic that doesn't just see women in a certain way as well, but we need to love you well. And we commit to doing that and loving you well. But we need a different ethic for wholeness and for sexuality beyond the physicality. Amen? Amen. 
we need to recognize the importance of wholeness. And we need to keep sexuality, even in marriage, holy. And we need to work through the brokenness. Hebrews 13.4 says, Honor marriage and honor the sacredness of sexual intimacy between wife and husband. God draws a firm line against casual and illicit sex. The NIV calls it keeping the marriage bed pure. You need to know that even if you're married, it doesn't mean that you have a right for a free-for-all. It doesn't mean that your wife's body or your husband's body is for you to treat as a toy. If you aren't good at unsexual touch, your sexual life will be deeply impacted because you're not trustworthy, they can't rely on you, and they're not going to want to go here and make the commitment. Your non-sexual touch is as important to your sexual relationship as anything physical you do. Without that, it is transactional and dangerous. And so simply making a marriage commitment does not mean that we don't have work to do. How many of you know we can be better? There is more to sex, 1 Corinthians says in 16, uh, 18, 16 through 18, than uh, physical touch alone. There's more to sex, it says, than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much a spiritual mystery as a physical fact. As written in scripture, the two become one. Since we want to become spiritually one with the master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever the kind of sex that can never become one. There is more. Somebody say there's more. See, last time in the early service, people were like, oh, don't say there's more because I don't have any more to give. Yes, you do. And don't look at the guy next to you. The spotlight's on you, brother. Listen, let me help you, brethren. When you put the peanut butter away, high five. When you close the cabinet, I said to my husband, oh, you're getting a date, brother. Listen, when you... <laughs> Listen, when you, when you vacuum and I don't have to ask you, oh, oh, right, where's the sister in the house? We're like, oh, hallelujah. Brothers, I'm helping you right now. I'm helping you. You ought to be praising the Lord right now. I'm giving you some tips. Okay, listen. We are different physical beings, and so we can do better. Women, we can do better. Brothers, we can do better. We have to build an atmosphere of affection that begins with knowing and trusting and believing. It can be better, and we can be better in loving one another. We've got to learn how to express one another in safety and grace. See the number on the screen, the number 10? One relationship expert said it takes 10 meaningful touches a day to keep a couple emotionally healthy in their relationship. It might be a hug or a handhold or putting the dishes away. Imagine that. Praise the Lord. I just gave you another one, brothers. You need to put that in the pocket, right? Getting the groceries right, the grocery list right. Sisters, how many of you are ready to run around the, ooh, hallelujah. <laughs> Getting the grocery list right. Uh, you know, those things are all so important. And of course, I'm being facetious. But it takes 10 of those kind of touches for us to be able to really build those lasting touches. So I want you to increase your commitment to communication, beloved. A favorite thing is to dine. We all love to sit and to dine, but we don't just shovel the food in. We linger. So linger in your relationships. Hang around a little while. Listen affectionately and learn that when you've made mistakes that you can always fix those. Proverbs 13, 17 says, an unreliable messenger can cause a lot of trouble. 
Reliable communication permits progress. You have to make an effort in this, amen? And finally, I want to say that we need to maintain an, atti an attitude of giving. A mutually fulfilling sex life does not begin in the bedroom. It begins in the heart. Final scripture, because I know some of you are having heart palpitations right now. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 3 through 4. The marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking his wife and the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. It's a decision to serve each other. Guys, we need to be the ones who are talking about this and talking about this stuff without shame. But I know that shame or guilt or pain is a reality for many who are broken. Or for many who it just is, it's, it's not how you were raised, I get that. I'm not asking each one of you to become Dr. Phil. I'm not asking you to have small groups. I'm not, I'm not asking you to do that, but I am asking you to make a commitment. Finally, I will say for those who are believers who are having all the benefits of this, but not within the context of marriage, you may be living together, you may be doing all of those kind of things, and it may just seem great, but marriage is kind of over here. I'd ask you to encourage a conversation with your significant other around marriage and not simply living together. Why? Because marriage is ordained by God, given by God, and it's a reflection of our intimacy in our relationship with God. Simply living together without the benefit of saying, I do, and the accountability of God and the church is not what he designed. And so as we think about this, I want to have you stand with me because I'm going to close in prayer. I know some of you are like, thank God and hallelujah. <laughs> well, I'm going to be back for my five-part series on the Song of Solomon. Now, let me just say one thing. <laughs> Your pastor and my friend Joel Johnson had scriptures from the Song of Solomon here, and I took them out. You better praise God, somebody, because I would have launched in, and you all would have been like, it is time to go to Culver's. Listen, you... <laughs> Yes, like let's get up. Yeah, the kids are like, oh yeah, let's go. But as we pray and as we lock eyes with each other, as we think about this and as Joel comes back next week, practice your healthy personal touch in your circles, beginning with you. God, heal me and make me to know you. And I surrender the places of pain in my life and the places where maybe I'm withholding love or affection from others around me because I don't feel worthy. I want you to think about that. I want you to write those places down and, and let God do a little examination for the sake of those around you. Amen? I want you to think about that. And then I want you to think that, about things that things can always be better, but boundaries are helpful. Young people who are in here, teenagers, you who are in here, we're talking to you. We're talking to you. That the church is not a place to play games and not act like this is not a place where you can be vulnerable. The enemy is, is, is real. And he wants to try to take not just intimacy from you or being known away from you. He wants to take the blessings of marriage away from you and giftedness away from you. So let's pray and let's talk with our kids about that too. And finally, let's pray for our marriages and pray for our country and let's pray that we can be people who can live this out well. Amen? So let's pray. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we do praise you and we thank you for this day. And right now, in the name of Jesus, we want to pray for all in this room or those who we don't know who have been broken, men and women, sexually broken, misused, touched in ways that did not feel like they were drawn in love but pushed away in rejection. We want to bind the root of rejection, fear, um, shame, guilt for things past or present, Lord. And we ask your Holy Spirit right now start to just minister to those who hearts, whose hearts have been broken. 
Uh, Father, for those who are in a place where marriage, maybe their relationships are tense with their kids. Maybe they feel like they've messed up in some places and it's too far gone. God, nothing is too hard for you. No relationship is too far gone. God, with gentleness and humility, will you help us, Lord, to start with ourselves about being known, to be committed, to be reliable, to be trustworthy, that our touch can be seen as sincere. Lord, for those of us who are in relationships that are good, but they could be better, teach us to listen to those who are around us when they're speaking. Help us to know the love language of our families, especially the ones who we have committed to. And for those who are contemplating marriage or those who are single or those who are widowed and just feel like it's, it's too hard, God, would you help us to create spaces of safety for people to feel valued? God, we thank you. And we thank you that you, you who stepped out of eternity to know us most intimately, you gave us this opportunity to be intimate with you. God, you who gave us love, you who are love, thank you for loving us. And thank you for the commitment of the precious babies that were dedicated to you today. As we said yes to being a part of their community of faith and wholeness, God, that means we need to be whole. So bless, protect those families, God, and help us to be people of our word. Thank you, Lord, that you taught us what intimacy is and you gave it to us as something good. Help us to redeem it from the claws of the enemy and to go out into the world in our spheres of influence and touch people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.